Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Some of you know me pretty well by now, and you probably also know that I don't get very emotional, at least not that often. Um, I can get emotional. I have been emotional occasionally, sometimes expressing anger and rage. See, some of you were surprised, right? But you don't know me that well. I really can get angry and enraged. Or expressing extreme sadness, and some of you know that about me as well. Um, and this coming August, I have to leave one more son behind in the United States, and I'm sure that I will have a hard time controlling my emotions then. But yes, uh, I think some of you perhaps are less reserved about your emotions, perhaps keeping them less under control, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, but what is your favorite emotion? My guess would be probably joy, love, maybe courage. And what would be your least favorite emotion? Sadness, anger, or maybe fear. Any of you go through fear regularly or often? How do you deal with your fears? Because sometimes fears can be crippling, immobilizing, keeping us from doing something we know we have to do, but because we believe it's dangerous, we don't do it, even if it's not even really dangerous at all. We just think it's dangerous. Fear, someone has defined as false evidence appearing real. Because sometimes we're afraid, but there's really no reason to be afraid at all. Many fears are irrational, and it's a pity to live your life based on a lie. Fear is actually something that terrorists want us to experience every day because they want to disrupt our daily lives. Fear is something that politicians then take advantage of, our fear of terrorists. Fear is an emotion that you can't always control, but you can influence your emotions with the right thoughts. So what do you fear? What are you afraid of? You know, if I list a number of fears that adults have, probably among us, many of us would have acrophobia, right? The fear of heights. Others perhaps have arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Some of us have dentophobia, the fear of dentists. Glossophobia, the fear of speaking in public. I'm sure some of you have that fear as well. I experience it every Sunday. <laughs> some of you have ergophobia, the fear of work. <laughs> or logizomechanophobia, that is the fear of computers. I know some people who won't order anything off the internet unless I'm sitting there with them in case they might make a mistake of what they're ordering. And then there's sesquipedalophobia, and that's the fear of long words. My guess is that most of you have some of these common fears, the physical dangers of the fear of falling, airplane travel, or driving along dangerous roads. You know, I, don't, I haven't really experienced a lot of fear. I've told you this story about when I was on the ropes course. I'm not going to tell you that again. But really, in thinking back, I can't remember another time that I was truly fearful. Uh, there was a time we were flying across uh, the Atlantic Ocean, just above Greenland somewhere, and we were at... Uh, very high altitude, and all of a sudden we dropped a lot of altitude, and the plane was shaking violently, and 
That wasn't the scary part because I have confidence in these aircraft as they're built. But there was this woman that was very hysterical a couple of aisles over, and she was screaming, uh, saying, I want to get out of here. <laughs> that made me afraid. <laughs> but thankfully, I don't have a lot of fears. But some of you fear attack, intruders, or robbers, or physical assault. And perhaps more common of our fears are the fear of rejection, being criticized by people, or for some, the fear of commitment, or others, the fear of failing. What did the ancient people of the Bible fear? Well, my guess is they would probably have feared invaders and wars, wild animals, neighbors' vengeance. They would have probably feared the future, poor crops, economic ruin, even hunger. How do I know this? Well, some of the fears mentioned in the songs that we have been studying are namely those kinds of fears. And today, as we look at Psalm 46, my hope is that you will sense the security that the truth of this psalm gives us. Today, we're going to look at a psalm that will help us hopefully deal with all of our fears, but at least the ones that we can relate to that the psalmist is writing about. But before we do that, we have to understand that for us to overcome our fears, we have to be certain of some things about God's nature, certain about His presence and about His plan. So if you'll turn with me to Psalm 46. As the psalmist writes about the security and the peace that this psalmist has because of who God is. Psalm 46 it says, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. Selah is a word of pause, and so we're going to pause there and take a look at what this is all about. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. A refuge, what is a refuge? It's simply a shelter. It's some kind of protection from danger or distress. Oftentimes, it's a physical place, protection from enemies or shelter from the elements. God is my refuge and strength. Now, strength if you translate it, it, seems, it means pretty much the same thing as a refuge. They're really synonyms. It's the word uz or utz. It's the basis for names like Uzziah, which means the Lord is my strength. And no shelter is any good unless it's strong enough to withstand the threat for which it is built. And the psalmist is saying, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in time of need. So the main idea being conveyed here in the psalm, as you can tell, is the protection and safety and security that God's people enjoy because He is like a fortress or a stronghold, as we'll see in the verses coming up. The best defense you can have against an enemy army is to dwell on a high place with fortified walls, and that's called a stronghold. And the Lord is a stronghold to His people. And with a good stronghold, the evil men may advance, foes may attack, armies might besiege. But as the psalmist is saying, with the Lord as our fortress, those efforts will fail. Because God's people need not be afraid. They will remain unharmed with God as their stronghold. And the Lord is so secure that the enemies will stumble and fall in any of their attempts to assault them. David, 
one of the psalm writers as well, has the same confidence in Psalm 27. He writes, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The psalmist is reminding us that we need not fear because the Lord is our protection against our enemies. He is the one upon whom we should depend for our protection. Your greatest enemy, folks, is not a physical enemy. Your greatest enemy is a spiritual one, the devil, because the devil is also the enemy of the Lord. And he is seeking to devour us because we were created in God's image to give him glory. And we ought to remember that the Lord will only allow the evil of the devil to touch us if it serves a specific purpose of the Lord's. Because sometimes the Lord is testing us so that we depend on him instead of ourselves. Sometimes he allows us to go through a hardship or persecution so that our faith is proven through that trial. And sometimes the Lord allows us to suffer pain so that the wrong behavior and the misdeeds that we commit are corrected. But let's remember, the devil is always limited by what the Lord allows. Yes, we might have some physical enemies who seek to harm us, but let's remember that the safest place to be is in the middle of the will of God. Because if you're obedient to him, then he will protect you. If you are about the uh, work of fulfilling his desire for you, he will make sure that you complete his will. And once he has no more for us to complete in this life, then he'll take us home in glory to find our refuge in him. Even if death is just a few breaths away, remember that the Lord has secured eternal life for us through Jesus Christ. Now, for that to mean anything to us, it is critical that we are confident of our eternal salvation. Because if we are uncertain of where we will spend eternity when we die, then yes, we have much to fear for physical dangers and spiritual ones. We have every reason to fear and be afraid in this life because any pain and suffering in this life is temporary and nothing compared to any pain that we will experience in the afterlife when we experience the condemnation and judgment in the eternal lake of fire. But see, God has sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior to secure our eternity in heaven. And those of us who believe in the cross of Jesus Christ having paid for our sins, Jesus says we have crossed from death to life. And so we need not be afraid. I hope most of you are here because you have already called upon the Lord and received Jesus Christ as Savior, and you are confident then in your eternal salvation. Because if you were to reject Jesus Christ, then you are rejecting the only means made available to us to have eternal life. You cannot have eternal life based on your own good deeds and good works. But once you have accepted him, then you know that no matter what your enemies in this life can do, they can't change where you will spend eternity. Now, of course, the devil is going to lie to you and shake your confidence in eternal life. Things like you'll still have to do good things to appease God's wrath. It's not enough that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins. You still also have to be baptized or give to the church or do other things for the church. Or you're a miserable sinner. How could God still love you? Friends, that's how the enemy will attack you. The truth is, in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the truth we cling to. Our confidence is not in our flesh or our good deeds or righteousness of our own. Our confidence is in the cross of Jesus Christ because with that cross comes his righteousness 
His sin, or excuse me, our sins for His righteousness, and it is a righteousness that comes by faith. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God that no man should boast. So, the Lord is my refuge and strength is really a metaphor of the security we experience when we know the Lord and we are one of His children. If you're in the military, you might say, the Lord is my armor. If you're alone in a quiet house, you might say, the Lord is my security alarm. And if you're under spiritual attack, remember, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Now, some people would say, well, you know, God is for the weak. Well, those people think they're strong enough without protection and security from God, and they're ignorant of the presence of a spiritual enemy that seeks to devour them. Now, the ignorance may make them fearless, but it doesn't protect them from the real danger that the enemy the devil is. But we will not fear, even though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Those that don't have that security, they will fear when the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea. And they have a false security about the future. They don't realize that every word and deed that they have committed will be judged. And God is a holy and just God. No, it's not those who say that God is for the weak that are strong. It's those who say, I am weak, but the Lord is my refuge and strength. They will experience the supernatural sense of security in the midst of any real threats, even when the enemy comes in like a flood. Read on with me in verse 4 then. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms will fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the psalmist here turns his attention to the city of God, where the temple of God and His dwelling and His presence are. When you think about why people settle in a particular place, they settle because there's a source of water. Without a source of water, people don't settle. And villages begin there where there's a spring or a river or where a well can be dug. And that's also why an enemy army trying to attack a village or a city will try to cut it off from its source of water, besiege it, and hopefully force a surrender. But God's presence, the psalmist is saying, is like a city where it has a constant river that flows with life to make sure its people are glad. You know what's interesting about the revelation of our future eternity? The vision that John received was of a new Jerusalem that was coming out of heaven because the old earth and the new earth, excuse me, the old earth and the old heavens had, uh, had passed away and now was a new heavens and a new earth. And this new Jerusalem was re- had replaced the old earth. And there was no need for a temple in that city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And interestingly enough, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb was the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. This imagery David is also familiar with as he finds refuge in the presence of the Lord. He says, one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, for in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. When your enemies are bigger and stronger than you are, you naturally need a friend who's going to be greater than your enemy. And David knew where he would find a friend that was greater than any enemy, in the presence of the Lord. He says, uh, the, the psalmist here says, the Lord Almighty is with us. Now, that's the NIV translation for the Lord of hosts. What is the Lord of hosts? 
Is it, you know, someone who's in charge of all those who are inviting guests and, you know, having a table f available for people to eat from? No. A host is an army, a division, an array. And the Lord of hosts means, I think NIV has translated very well, because if, if, if the Lord is the Lord of all the armies, then there is no power greater than He is. So the Lord Almighty is, is a perfectly fine translation. There is none who is stronger than the armies of the Lord. And because the Lord Almighty is with us, our stronghold will remain secure. Some of you know Martin Luther's famous song, A Mighty Fortress. It stems from this psalm, or the truth of this psalm. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And so he confides not in our own strength, but in the man of God's own choosing. You ask me who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth. That means Lord of hosts is he, and he must win the battle. So when you're afraid, remember this passage that we are in the city of God where his presence dwells. And you and I in the New Testament, we are the living temple of the Holy Spirit. God has chosen to transform us and to change us from the inside and make us holy so that he can dwell within us. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. He promised his disciples to be with us even to the ends of the earth. We simply need to be reminded that the Lord always is with us. We tend to feel like God is not with us when we're thinking or believing that he isn't. But the truth of the scripture reminds us that once we're a believer, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And how do I know that sometimes you don't feel like God is there because you don't believe he's there? Well, sometimes you commit secret sins somehow believing that, well, God won't see that. He doesn't know really what's going on. Well, let's remember that God is present, and He does know even our secret sins. And let's remember the truth about His omnipresence, that where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Even if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And we know that the Lord is all-powerful, so we can acknowledge that there is a purpose if he ever does allow the enemy to wage an attack against us. A promise of Romans 8.28 says that we know that in all things God works together for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So trust in him that his intentions are good and they're loving, and you can look forward to the deliverance that he's planning because the Lord is present. And if you're ever afraid of an enemy, remember that the Lord Almighty is in our midst. He is with us. And his very presence should be the assurance and the security that we need. And then going on in verse 8, Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow or the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then as if it's a repeat chorus here, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So one thing that we also have to remember is that not only is God present with us, but God will destroy every enemy who would make us insecure. This is a picture here of God having gone out to battle and having won the battle. He says, go and look or come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. It is the utter destruction of things once built up. Sometimes this word for desolations is the word horror or wonder. Because if you saw a city that was once bustling with people and alive with a lot of uh, industry suddenly leveled, you would be in awe, just like we were after World War II 
when the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Sometimes the only way to end a war and to cease the conflict is not by reaching a settlement or negotiating a ceasefire. Sometimes the way to end a war and cease the conflict is by winning over the enemy so convincingly that it is time for them to put down their arms. And that's, I think, what the psalmist is describing here. The end of the battle, the bows are broken, the spears are shattered, the shields or the chariots are set on fire because there is only one victor in this war. The Lord is God and no other. The Lord will be exalted among the nations and no other. The Lord and no other will be exalted, not just among the nations, but in all the earth. And then this wonderful verse that says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, for the longest time, that verse, I was always thinking that it's speaking directly to me, the child of God, to be still, to just know that he is God. But as I studied this, I realized in this context, as the psalmist is speaking of the Lord's destroying the enemies, he's really saying to the enemy, you can put down your arms now. If you look at the other translations, the, the word here for be still is simply stop, cease. That's why sometimes in some translations you'll see cease, and then you'll see in italics, striving, cease striving. It's a word that can be sometimes uh, used to, to describe someone being lazy, how someone has just dropped everything and, uh, and lost courage and grown slack. And I believe here he's saying to the enemies, you can now stop. You will lose this war. I went to the commentaries to see, am I the only one that thinks that it's really to the, enemy, uh, to the enemies he's speaking? Well, I'm not the only one. Matthew Henry, famous uh, commentary, uh, says of this verse, number one, let his enemies be still and threaten no more, but know it to their horror that he is God, one infinitely above him, and that will certainly be too hard for them. Let them rage no more, for it is all in vain. And then two, let his own people be still. Derek Kidner says this about this verse, although the outcome is peace, the process is judgment. The reassuring words he makes war cease, are set in a context not of gentle persuasion, but of a world devastated and forcibly disarmed. So too the injunction, be still, is not in the first place a comfort for the harassed, but a rebuke to the restless and turbulent world. Quiet. In fact, leave off. That's what the Lord says, because he will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. So God will crush all of his enemies. That's what we have to remember in the midst of our fear. It might seem as though there's an equal battle between forces of good and evil. You know, in the movies, that's the way it is, right? Sometimes evil wins and is stronger than the forces of good and and this constant back and forth. But the scriptures are clear that God is almighty. The devil is severely limited in his power. The Lord is sovereign, and that means that there is no authority higher than him. He created all the angels even those who rebelled against him, and he will judge all the powers of evil with everlasting condemnation in the lake of fire. Yes, for now, the devil is permitted to hold power and authority on earth, but the devil and his servants know that their doom is also sure. You know, even the attempt that the devil made to kill the Son of God was really part of God's all-overarching plan of salvation, to redeem people for himself. The devil thought he was putting the Son of Man to death, but in fact, the Lord had already intended for his Son to be sacrificed. 
So never underestimate the powers of evil, but also never overestimate them. God will not allow us to be tested or tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, he will make a way of escape so that we can stand up against it. And history reveals to us that the enemy has been powerful. The evil that men have done are because of the influence of the devil. But over and over again, the Lord demonstrates his victory over the enemy. And the enemy only ever succeeds when there's a purpose of God that requires sometimes for a battle to be lost. Why? Because sometimes his children need humbling. Sometimes we need to be corrected. And at times, God has to show us his power so that we grow in our faith and learn to depend and trust in him. But if you are ever in a situation where you're fearful of your enemy, consider first, what is the Lord teaching me through this? And what is it that he's requiring of me to obey? As John Wesley says, I am immortal until my work is done. And that's one of the greatest lessons we need to learn, that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And when we need him, he is with us, and he is against our enemy. So are you in a situation today that causes you fear? Maybe it's cloaked in anxiety or worry, or as people say, concern. Well, how quick are you to humble yourself? Because maybe the, de- the, 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 the Lord has d- deliberately placed you in a situation because you need to humble yourself, or you need to change your disobedience to obedience. Perhaps he's teaching you to trust him enough that he will protect you in the midst of the situation. He will shield you. He will fight for you. Because if the Lord truly is your refuge and strength, and you believe that he is your ever-present help in time of trouble, then the only reason that you would still sense the fear is that your view of the Lord is too small. So who is the Lord to you? Is he then the one who transcends all time and space? Is he the creator who spoke the universe into being with a command? Is the Lord to you the highest authority whose plans cannot be frustrated? Is he or is he not the Lord of lords and King of kings? Because if he is, then your fear is irrational and baseless. Because if the Lord is on your side, then he is your refuge and strength. And if the Lord is on your side, then it is the others that have to strive against him. So whoever your enemy or whatever your fear, find your refuge in the Lord of hosts. He is the ever-present help in time of trouble. And the more you trust him, the less you will fear any threat against you. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have provided your word for us because we know that you want us to find our security and our safety and our protection in you. And Lord, I know also that sometimes you have to teach it to us. And so we pray, Lord God, that we will learn quickly, that we will learn to trust you, and that in the moments of fear, that we will rest and know that all of our enemies will one day be defeated. Thank you, Lord, for the confidence that your word gives us, that these are revealed to us, that these truths are timeless, and that you have always proven yourself faithful. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would replace any fear in any of our hearts So that would not be the emotion we feel, but we would feel courage. And instead we would feel calmness. Because you are who you are. Our refuge and our strength. And ever-present help in time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. 
to listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.